Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. I can say I gave it up everything I had. I mean, every week, you know, so, you know, and, and maybe it means an interception on fourth and 18 when you're down 10, because I don't care uh, that it's going to say two interceptions. You know, I really don't. It's just like I ain't quitting. So I think that I think I think that that um, doing it with so many guys over, you know, 14 years and and going to the locker room, win or lose. And I can say that government, we're short. We felt we fell short, but or we won, you know, uh, but shoot, I, I couldn't try it any harder. So I think two different kind of elements there. But uh, I think those are two things that come to my mind. Ralph, yeah. All right, thanks, Phil. I guess. Philip Rivers, after his final game with the Chargers, he knew it at the time, and I think the rest of us did too. Peter King, this is not the biggest domino to fall in the 2020 offseason. He wears number 12 for now with the New England Patriots. But it's the first real domino. We expected it. But there was some, some I don't know, just a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of reality setting in yesterday when the Chargers and Phillip Rivers jointly announced that Rivers, who's already moved out of California back to Alabama, Rivers will not be back with the Chargers in 2020. He'll move on. They'll move on. And it again, it felt inevitable, but there's, just, there's something sad about a run that began back in 2004 for player and team coming to an end. Mike, I think the difference is that Tom Brady was scheduled to be a free agent since the beginning of last season. So we knew that. And although half of the free world uh, still believes absolutely categorically there's no way he won't re-sign with the Patriots, 
which I think you and I disagree with. Uh, we didn't know about Philip Rivers. It it seemed like at the end of the season, it was heading in this direction, but there was no guarantee. And, you know, to me, I think the sad part of this is that, um, you know, I think Philip Rivers was a gallant, uh, you know, incredibly good competitor. And, you know, he's always, people are always going to say, you know, he never won a Super Bowl, which is true. There's a lot of quarterbacks who never won a Super Bowl. Ted Williams never won a World Series. Carl uh, Malone never won an NBA championship. That's the way life goes, you know? The, the best players at their position don't always win titles. And I think Phillip Rivers was clearly among the best players at his position. You count on him every single week. And look, the last year, last two or three years, he threw too many interceptions. We all saw it. But I think that, and 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 as far as the Hall of Fameness of him, there will be time for that. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I don't know if Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer. But to me, if I'm thinking of Phillip Rivers, I'm thinking of a guy who was a great, not a good, but a great teammate and a guy who had an excellent NFL career. Well, unlike Eli Manning, the career will continue for Phillip Rivers, so the five-year clock doesn't even start yet, assuming he finds a landing spot. And Peter, for me, I think it became clear the Chargers were going to move on after that back-to-back primetime games, culminating in the Mexico City loss to the Chiefs, where he had seven interceptions in two games that we all saw. It's one thing to quietly have seven interceptions on a Sunday afternoon in a regional broadcast. It's quite another to have back-to-back games, primetime, national television, where you total seven interceptions in those two games. You throw in the bad record this year for the Chargers, and going into the new stadium with the inability to resonate in L.A., they've got to make themselves into an L.A. team, and Phillip Rivers was not going to do that. It was time for the Chargers to move on. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I still think they're going to end up with Cam Newton. For the Chargers, and we're going to have a draft coming up in an hour and a half of his best landing spots, he's going somewhere, and he told our friend Sam Farmer, the L.A. Times, on Monday, I can say for certain that I'm playing. It's a two-year maximum. Whoever the suitors are, I think that would be their hope as well because you never know how it goes. Shoot, if we stink it up after one year, I'm probably done. If we play really good, they'll probably want to go again. So he's looking for a place where he can get up to two years, no more than two years, basically one year with an option for a second year. He's going to want to play, Peter. And here's the thing. He's not going to want to be the guy who is the starter in the middle of March and then late April the team that he signed with drafts a guy in round one, and it's just a question of when he's going to supplant Phillip Rivers. And I think the contract he signs will tell us, him, and everyone else that he's the guy for 2020, period. That there's not going to be some rookie that takes over in October or November or December. And and that's where, you know, it's not about the money, but it's about the money because the financial commitment tells everyone he's our guy, period, for all of this season. And I think he's not going to want to play unless he gets that kind of a commitment. Yeah, I think it's going to be a real tricky call for some team, Mike, because, you know, I can look at, we can round up the usual suspects right now. We can say that, okay, if nobody gives him a starting job, flat out, absolutely, then where would he go? The first two teams on my list in that case, 
uh, would be Indianapolis and Chicago. And then if you say after that, okay, which are the places that are most likely to give him the opportunity to start, uh, you know, 70, 80% once opening day rolls around? I would say Tampa, depending on Jameis Winston. I would say Carolina, depending on Cam Newton. And I would say New England, depending on Tom Brady. But all of those things, it's just, you know what we're all doing? We're all, we're all taking, uh, we're all buying lottery tickets because right now there are 10 quarterback situations in the NFL. You know, I was writing them down last night. There's 10 quarterback situations in the NFL that are an absolute total mystery. If number 10 on my list was Chicago and everyone in Chicago would say, oh no, that's Trubisky's job for at least one more year. Is it? I mean, I'm sure it is on opening day, but is it going to be Trubisky's solid job if he continues to stink it up in 2020? And, and here's the challenge. And, and Sims and I have been talking about this, Peter. It's a game of musical chairs that is coming up. We just don't know whether there's more butts than seats or more seats than butts, right? We don't know that when the music stops, it's going to be quarterbacks looking around saying, where's my job? Or it's going to be teams looking around saying, where's my quarterback? And for Phillip Rivers, it could be the smartest play for him is to wait until after the draft because there's a chance after the draft, there's going to be a team that says, holy crap, we didn't get a starter in free agency. We didn't get a starter in the draft. We need somebody for 2020. We need him now. Hey, Phillip Rivers, come save us. He could get more money and he could get that clear path to being the guy. And Peter, there's a philosophical question that is embedded in all of this that Philip Rivers is going to have to resolve. Is he willing to be basically a Ryan Tannehill where you show up as the number two and you just kind of hope that the starter either stinks or gets hurt and you get a chance to play? I think, and based upon stuff Sims heard about the Chargers maybe sniffing around a Marcus Mariota in 2015 or a Deshaun Watson in 2017 and the reaction from Phillip Rivers when those possibilities were broached with him, I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere where he's not the number one guy for the full season. And if that's the case, it very well could be that he ends up retiring or at a minimum waiting, waiting for someone to say, Philip, we need you. You're our guy. You're not going to be holding a clipboard. You're not going to be waiting for someone to get injured or, or uh, you know, stink. You're our guy from the moment you sign our contract. I think that's what he wants. If he doesn't get that, I don't think he's going to play. Well, that's a good question, Mike. If I were him, I would just look at history. And the history of quarterback situations where the number one guy is shaky and again, I'll talk about Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis and Mitchell Trubisky in uh, in Chicago. Um, th there's all kinds of strange quarterback situations because, look, what is the guarantee, let's say, for instance, in Pittsburgh, that Ben Roethlisberger can stay healthy? Yes, as of this morning, he's the last person standing with his original team from the 2004 draft, you know, among the quarterbacks. I get that, but... Is he going to last the full season? You know, it, it, you know, are the Carolina Panthers legitimately interested in erasing, uh, in starting over in their quarterback situation and not paying Cam Newton when they have no idea what Cam Newton is right now? 
There are so many questions about this. But, Mike, I would agree with you. There's only a couple of places where teams might jump out before the draft and say, Philip, we want you. You know, like Bruce Arians. Let's just talk about Bruce Arians for a second. If Jameis Winston, as I've said before, if he overplays his hand financially in this thing, if he's not basically uh, fairly reasonable about the amount of money he wants after a 30 interception season, then I think Bruce Arians would very likely just say, hey, look, let's just go our separate ways. And if that happens, if it happens, and these are all my guesses, I'm just reading the tea leaves knowing Bruce Arians, and, and especially, Mike, how Bruce Arians changed in his attitude on Jameis Winston in the last couple of weeks of the season. You know, first 14 weeks or whatever, he's very supportive. Jameis is our guy. Oh, that was a, that was a fluke interception. You didn't hear that the last two weeks of the season. But anyway, I'm only making that point to say that could I imagine if Jameis Winston and the Bucks come to loggerheads, you know, say a week before free agency begins? I wouldn't be surprised if they go their separate ways. And then that is a place, a coach who loves a veteran quarterback, just like Bill Belichick, a coach who loves veterans who've got a year or two left. You know, those are the kind of places that I could see if he signs before, you know, the draft or before the draft and free agency. Those are the logical places. And the Buccaneers fascinate me, Peter, because I can't tell whether or not Bruce Arians really means the things he's saying or whether this is part of an effort to soften up Jameis Winston's expectations financially. And just the flirtation with a guy like Philip Rivers, is that your leverage play to get Winston to take less? Because if you fill his spot with someone else, where is he going to go? Who's going to want Jameis Winston? And I'm kind of rooting now for Philip Rivers to Tampa simply for the post-game press conferences because it would go from <laughs> Gomer Pyle with shucks and golly and darn to Lenny Bruce with every F word and curse word and profanity when Arian shows up. So I love the contrast potentially in Tampa Bay from Philip Rivers to Bruce Arians. But uh, I, I, it's, it's not going to be easy for Philip Rivers. And, you know, the Chargers have done this guy a favor by not playing games with him. I thought maybe a week or two ago when Jay Glazer initially said that the Chargers are moving on from Phillip Rivers and then Ian Rappaport tried this whole, well, the Chargers are going to explore their options and maybe they'll apply the franchise tag. I thought the Chargers would actually consider a tag and trade. And maybe they've realized over the last couple of weeks it's not going to work because nobody is going to take on $27 million plus for one year for Phillip Rivers. And if that's what they've learned over the last two weeks, that they've abandoned that, that strategy and that approach, that doesn't bode well for teams lining up out the door for Phillip Rivers. I think if Tom Brady's in play, they're going to be lining up for Tom Brady. Phillip Rivers is in play, and I'm not so sure they're going to be lining up. And that gets me back to the point that I made. If he's not given that, you're our guy, period, unequivocally, unconditionally, maybe his best play is to wait. And and maybe the wait goes beyond the draft, Peter. Maybe he waits for Ben Roethlisberger to get injured again. Maybe he's the guy who's going to ride in on a white horse and save someone in September or October. Look, there was some, there's something to be said for Philip Rivers waiting uh, until August 28th when some quarterback goes down with a 
eight-week injury or whatever. Who knows? But I do... The one thing I really agree with you on is that this is going to be harder maybe than Philip Rivers Rivers thinks at this moment. I'll say one other thing about Tampa Bay. I don't think this is a case of Bruce Arians or or the general manager, Jason Light, playing games, uh, you know, or or the Glazers playing games. And look, Mike, I've got to tell you, this is my reading of the tea leaves. I've not talked to Arians or Jason Light about this, so let's make that very clear. But when I look at this, any logical thinking person is going to look at the Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback situation and at a quarterback, Jameis Winston, who has led the, the NFL in interceptions since 2015, since 2016, since 2017, since 2018, and in 2019. Every one of those time periods, Jameis Winston has thrown more interceptions than anybody in football. So if you're the Bucs, this isn't about, whoa, let's try to slow play this so that he'll take less money. It's not like you're negotiating with Patrick Mahomes here, you know, you know, it, it, where you know you're going to have to break the bank. If I'm the Bucs and if Jameis Winston isn't willing to take some what I would say significant restrictors in that contract. I'm shaking hands and saying good luck. That's not going to be easy to do, though. 5,108 passing yards, eighth all-time single season, and the only guys who have had more production from a yardage standpoint than him are all current or future Hall of Famers. That is going well, to let be me ask you this question, Mike. Go. We got to take a break. Here, we got to put a pin in it. Okay. okay. We're way over. But I, I, do we'll, want, I do want to continue this. We, we will continue the discussion of whether or not Jameis Winston is the right guy for the Buccaneers, if not but the Buccaneers who, when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, ripping up the outline on the fly because we kind of tripped over this conversation regarding destinations for Phillip Rivers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a potential place where he can land because Jameis Winston's future there is in doubt. And Peter, you are right. 30 interceptions and that history of being reckless with the football. He's got a bad habit of trying to do more than his body will allow him to do. That is balanced by 5,109 passing yards in 2019, eighth all time. The only human beings who have had more passing yards in a season than Jameis Winston are Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Ben Roethlisberger. That's it. So if you're the Buccaneers, how do you reconcile that? You're going to give up that production uh, in lieu of trying to reduce the interceptions, or are the interceptions incurable? Maybe only Bruce Arians knows the answer to that question. Well, Mike, I've got about 48 comments, and we've only got about an hour and 45 minutes left in the show. So I'm going to go over, okay? Here comes a filibuster. Look, everybody knows that Jameis Winston, when he's hot and having a big day, can throw for 400 yards. So can Matthew Stafford. So can Case Keenum, okay? I mean, you know, it's not so hard today. All those numbers, I'm sure, have happened in the last 15 or 18 years right? All those people have thrown for 5,000 yards. I forget the first year it happened, but 
But I remember a few years ago going to Packers training camp and talking to Aaron Rodgers about how soon it will be before somebody throws for 6,000 yards. Somebody will. It's football. And, and Mike, the biggest thing about Jameis Winston, you can talk about 5,100 yards, but let me ask you this question. How would you like to have a quarterback who threw for 4,100 yards and threw 16 or 18 fewer interceptions? I'll take that any day of the week. It's about possessing the ball and moving down the field with the ball. How do you account for throwing 5,100 yards and then account for the interceptions that you threw that stop drives? And that is the thing that I don't care if he threw for 5,900 yards and 30 interceptions. It would not make up for the 30 interceptions. He simply makes too many errors. And all I'm saying is that I'd be on the fence right now whether I was going to pay him significantly anyway. But to pay him a lot of money and lock yourself into a guy who has made more mistakes over the last five years by far than any start starting quarterback in football, it makes no sense. Frankly, I don't want either Jameis Winston or Phillip Rivers for 2020. I want to aim higher than both guys, but I don't want to take away from 5,109 yards. That is a historic achievement. When you only have four human beings who ever walked the planet who have had more production than so that what? in a single season. So what? It means How something. many guys in modern football have thrown 30 interceptions? How many? Not many. Yeah. Any? When's That's the, the last time a guy threw 30 interceptions in a year? And I don't, I don't disagree with that side of it. But if he's only thrown four thousand yards and thirty interceptions, to me, that's far worth it. There's then he wouldn't be on the there. team. There's something there. There's something to work on. And I don't. Of course, there is. There's the been something there for five years. I just don't know what's going to happen, and you know, I'm not going to predict it. And uh, no one needs to make choices at this point. And. Um, you know, I love playing football. I love playing for this team. I love playing for this team for two decades and, and winning a lot of games. And, um, again, I just I don't know what it looks like moving forward. So we'll just take it day by day. That's Tom Brady after the Patriots' season ended with a wild card loss to the Tennessee Titans regarding his looming free agency. We've got a deeper dive into the Brady situation coming up in about 25 minutes, but we're going to lead off over-unders today with Tom Brady's potential splash into free agency, Peter King. And we've got the over-under set, free agent meetings for Tom Brady, 1.5. You taking the over or you taking the under? I'm taking the over. But the question becomes, after you asked me that question, is how many of these meetings are going to become public? You know, uh, is, it, is it a meeting if John Gruden flies to Costa Rica and uh, and the Brady family is having, uh, you know, a nice week in Costa Rica <clears throat> and nobody ever finds out on, on March 23rd or, or if, uh, you know, if, if somebody else, some other coach ends up meeting him somewhere else and we really don't know. So I, I do think he's definitely going to talk to more than one team. Yes. Well, and here's the thing, right? The free agency meeting, the actual foray into free agency that comes after March 18, 
I don't think it's going to happen. Officially, I think he's going to take zero meetings in free agency. He's going to know where he's going before free agency even begins. And I don't want to go too far down the path that I think we're going to we're going to walk on coming up in 25 minutes. But I think it's all going to be sorted out. There's going to be tampering that is rampant. It happens every year. But the tampering is going to be necessary for the Patriots to know what it's going to take to keep Tom Brady and Brady to know what options are out there. But I think he's going to know where he's going before the ability to take a meeting even happens. So it may just be it's one meeting. And that meeting is to show up, say hello, shake hands, sign the contract because he's going to know. Just like with Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler did all the negotiating ahead of time. Not that that's the best example because he ended up being an abject failure. But that's... You know, that's uh, one of the rare times that we've had a a free agent quarterback that people actually were trying to to get in a tug of war over, even though it didn't work out for Osweiler. But you make one meeting, you know ahead of time where you're going, and that's that. I think that's what it's going to be for Brady. The one meeting is going to be the place where he signs a contract. You know, now that you say that, you might be right, Mike, but here's the reason why I think this is going to be a little bit different. Because, look, if Tom Brady... uh, For Tom Brady to agree with somebody before he ever would talk to that somebody, to talk about the offense, like, I I mean, wouldn't he want to know, let's say from John Gruden or let's say from Anthony Lynn and, you know, and his neophyte offensive coordinator, wouldn't he want to know a few things about how exactly it's going to work? Um, are all those conversations going to be back channel or are some of them going to be face-to-face conversations? And that's that why I say, and, and by the way, and by the way, do you count the Patriots as a meeting? Yeah. That's, that is a key question. They're one of the 32 teams. It's a fascinating wrinkle. We've got a full segment reserved for Tom Brady. You've given me a thought that I hadn't previously considered. We'll continue that one in about 20 minutes. All right, next topic. Starts for Teddy Bridgewater, one of the most overlooked and forgotten free agent quarterbacks. He was 5-0 and last year as a starter, Peter King. What's the over-under on starts for Teddy Bridgewater in 2020? I've got 8.5. Are you going over or are you going under? I'm going over because I think that, and I think this is a risk, but the reason I'm going over is that if he goes somewhere and plays, he's gonna. it's going to be with a team that really believes in him. And it wants him and says, you're our guy. And unless he gets hurt, he's going to start. So like that might be, say, a Carolina. You know, I I mean, it might be, say, a Tampa. You know, it's going to be somewhere that brings him in because they believe in him. And look, this is a boomer bust over under, period. That's what this is. To me, this is like zero or 15, (laughs) you know, something like that. Uh, Because I think Bridgewater... I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to say, for instance, I'll go to Chicago and I'll wait for uh, I'll wait for the incumbent, you know, to flame out, you know, or I'll go to Indianapolis and I'll wait until the starting job opens because I know it will open. Quite frankly, I think he'd rather go back to New Orleans in that case. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to be playing, you may as well not be playing with a team that you may be playing for in 2021 with a coach who has shown that he knows how to use you in a way to allow you to be 5-0 and as a starter when Drew Brees was injured in 2019. All right, teams with new starting quarterbacks in 2020. The over-under is five. 
that's unheard of that that would be the over-under going into an offseason, but that just reflects how much turmoil is looming with this crazy free agency that's about to unfold. Well, I think it would definitely be over, and I think you have to define that a little bit better. If you're talking about starting quarterbacks on opening day that will be different, well, you know, then I'm not sure that Dwayne Haskins isn't going to be the opening day starter, even though I think Alex Smith has an excellent chance there. And and clearly, I would probably bet on Jacoby Brissett uh, and Mitchell Trubisky in those two places. And clearly, Drew Locke, let's say. But some of these issues, if you ask me the question, like, is... is uh, is Mitchell Trubisky going to start more than half the games in Chicago? My answer on that would be, if you gave me over-under on starts of Trubisky at eight and a half, I would bet the under. Uh, I would probably bet the under in Indianapolis too. But, uh, you know, so if there were only five changes, though, I'd definitely take the over on opening day. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's week one. And I think I will take the over. And if we throw in at any point throughout the course of the season, maybe the over-under is 10.5 or 11.5. And And even then, I'd be tempted to consider the over because I feel like there's going to be be multiple cities where you've got that urgency, you've got that shot across the bow, you've got that Ryan Tannehill-type acquisition. And Peter, here's the other thing, too. Because of what happened in Tennessee this year in the switch from Marcus Mariota to Ryan Tannehill, which arguably came a few weeks too late, it could be that if other coaches find themselves in a similar spot this year, they'll do it faster because of what happened in Tennessee because it worked. You know, copycat league. Hey, they did the flip from Mariota to Tannehill and it worked. So let's go ahead and bench Trubisky or let's bench this guy or let's bench that guy and move on to the guy that we brought in to be the emergency option. The emergency's here. Let's go. And also the other thing, Mike, you also have to consider that there could be very well be franchises that uh, are both, you know, have a different quarterback opening day. Let's just say New England, you know, and Brady leaves. Okay, so and let's make this up. You know, uh, Andy Dalton starts opening day and they're they're six and seven in December. They're going nowhere. So the Patriots then go to Jared Stidham or whoever they draft. Uh, this year in the first or second round. So I think some teams, I don't know how many, but I think some teams could have two on that list. Yeah. Every time you mention Andy Dalton to the Patriots, I have this vision (laughs) of, of opening day at Gillette stadium when they're coming out of the tunnel and the PA announcer says, and at quarterback, number 14, Andy Dalton. The reaction from the folks in Boston, it would be worth the price of admission just to be around them when they hear Andy Dalton instead of Tom Brady as the week one starter. But hey, with Bill Belichick, you never know what he's got cooking up in that brain of his. All right, a couple more real quick on the way out. Speaking of the Bengals, starts for receiver A.J. Green on a team other than the Cincinnati Bengals in 2020, which leaves the door open for him to be tagged and maybe traded during the season. Eight and a half starts for a team other than the Bengals in 2020. Definitely the under. I think he makes zero starts for other teams. Now, if they're 0-7 at the trading deadline and A.J. Green's healthy and they trade him for a two or a three, that's one thing. But... 
Mike Brown does not do what a lot of general managers slash general managers slash owners do, which is the common sense thing. You know, he sticks with his veteran guys till the end. And 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 you should also think about that when you're thinking about Andy Dalton. We're all trading him or releasing him. Mike Brown hasn't done that yet. Yeah, and look, there's no guarantee that you know that they're not going to let him play for a year if they have a Joe Burrow or a Tua Tonga-Vailoa, like they did when John Kitna started for a full year, and Carson Palmer was the number one overall pick who was delayed by a season before he actually got the job. So it's a possibility that Andy Dalton will stay, especially since. He's only on the books for $17 million or so in 2020. All right, last one. We saw the ratings were very good for the XFL opening weekend. Three and a half million watched on ABC on Saturday. Two and a half million watched on ESPN on Sunday. The number of XFL games watched by at least a million people the rest of the year. Does the curiosity last? 0.5 is the over-under. Where are you going? I mean, I don't have any idea. I knew we were going to talk about this. I, I guess I would say the under. And I'd say the under very simply because I just remember the lessons of the first XFL. Remember? 10.7 rating the first weekend of the season for that Las Vegas, uh, New York game that was in Vegas. Uh, three crowds over 30,000 on the first weekend cover of sports illustrated i mean the xfl was a bomb and within two or three weeks nobody cared about it at all and and so you know i'd probably say the under because look i do think football nerds will continue to watch the question is whether florio and king will watch uh and i kind of have my doubts about that here's the thing though I track in real time the traffic that we get, the video views that we get. People are showing interest in our XFL content. They're showing interest in our XFL tweets more than I thought. So we'll see. This weekend is going to be very important. If there's a huge dramatic drop-off, that's not good for the XFL. But they got to get those seven-figure audiences now because before you know it, it's going to be March Madness. It's going to be NFL free agency. It's going to be baseball season there's gonna be a lot of stuff coming up on the sports landscape very soon that is going to eat into the xfl interest i mean it starts this weekend with the nba all-star weekend in chicago so you don't have many many opportunities to really resonate and hope that it carries into those weekends where there's other things to watch on tv that are going to attract that attention away all right we're going to take a break when we return miles garrett reportedly has met with the league including commissioner roger goodell on a potential reinstatement following his suspension for whacking Mason Rudolph over the head with his own helmet. Where do things go from here? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Takes the snap with 14 seconds to go, and he got hit again. He flares it out. Edmonds catches it. Boris now gets in there and knocks him out. And there's a brawl going down inside the 10-yard line. And getting in there was Miles Garrett, and Garrett took the helmet off and slammed him on the top of the head with eight seconds to go in the game. A wild scene. I made a mistake. I lost my cool. Now I'm good. It's going to come back to to hurt our team. The guys who who jumped in the the, the little scrum, I appreciate my team having my back, but it just never got to that point. That's on me. 
That's Miles Garrett after that moment on a Thursday night in November when the Steelers visited the Browns. I lost my cool, Peter. That is the key phrase because as the NFL meets with Miles Garrett, and according to Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, that meeting has happened. The commissioner was part of it. They have to assess whether or not he would ever lose his cool that way again. This is one of those moments when the guy who practiced law in me comes out and says, folks, there's a reason for why the NFL is doing this. There's a reason to dot the I's and cross the T's and ask the questions and require him to go through counseling or whatever other measures are being mandated here. They cannot let him on the field if they have any reason to think that the thing that happened once may happen again. And the safest course is to say he's never allowed to play again. That's the only way you reduce the risk of him losing his cool and hitting someone over the head with their own helmet again to zero. The question is, what kind of paper trail does the NFL have to create so they can say, hey, we did everything we could to come to the conclusion that he was never going to do it again if he does it again and if the second time the player who gets hit over the head ends up being seriously injured or worse, Peter. Yeah, I kind of think the NFL is going to err on the side of returning him to the game uh, on opening day and basically say that whatever it is, 35% of one season plus his fine was, was enough. That's just my gut feeling. It was my gut feeling at the time. Uh, and I think the Browns uh, basically being this star-crossed franchise, even though people are going to say that doesn't matter, I just don't think the NFL wants the Browns to end to enter 2020 with this gigantic headache and this huge scar, uh, this black cloud hanging over the franchise. So if he has done everything that he's supposed to do, in this period of time, uh, if he has independently, in my opinion, reached out to Mason Rudolph and said, you know, I'm horrendously sorry. It should have never come to that. Uh, whatever. No matter what Mason Rudolph may or may not have said to him, that's it's just it's inexcusable. And I think everybody knows it. Hey, and I'm going to continue to go law nerd here, Peter, because if I'm Jeff Pash, the general counsel of the NFL, as part of these conversations with the Browns and with Garrett's representatives, I want all the paperwork to be signed, sealed, and delivered that if he does lose his cool again and does something like this and seriously injures an, an opposing player, it's the Browns and Garrett that are on the hook financially for the legal aftermath. And, you know, that that's a part of this for any business. You have to manage your legal risks. That's why these companies have general counsels. I would want language that would indemnify me as the NFL against anything that may go wrong. So, Browns, you want this guy back week one? You're on the hook if he does something like this again. Miles Garrett, you're on the hook if you do this again. We're not responsible, even though someone would sue the NFL and have a pretty, I, 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 you, you can't say you didn't know the guy was capable of hitting someone over the head with a helmet if he does it again because he already did it and you let him come back. That's the challenge for the NFL, managing this situation so when they do let him come back, if he does blow a gasket again, it's on him and it's on the Browns and it's not on the league. Mike, I think if anything like this ever happens again, say a, you know, a significant kick or something like that, you know, that that connects with somebody. I I don't even know what the what the next would be. Then I don't think he's going to play football anymore, uh, at least not in the NFL. 
And that's the big thing that, in my opinion, this counseling needed to get the root of, you know, to the root of. I mean, look, no one would ever say that a calm, thinking, uh, logical person would ever do something incredibly violent that they had never done before, okay? You, you just never think that. But the fact now that it has happened, you know, now you have to ask the question, okay, why did this happen? Let's get to the root of why it happened. And then you have to make sure that that person understands that if anything like this ever happens again, you will have your livelihood taken away from you forever. That is what has to happen in the meetings between the two sides. You know, it'd be fascinating, Peter, if something like this ever did happen and the effort to explore why it happened resulted in a professional conclusion that there's a likelihood this will happen again. What does the NFL do in that situation if it ever finds itself in that spot? You, you, you'd owe it to all other players to never let the guy back on the field. we got a quick break. A full hour of PFT Live still to come. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 